You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, this is Luke Hegder talking from another podcast recorded 26th of November 23 and uh, yeah, things are good. Um, this is literally early in the morning. It's like 9 o'clock in the morning that I'm recording this, mainly because I'm currently doing a little bit of intermittent fasting just to make up for some of the uh, indulgences over the last month or so leading up to Christmas and that means I'm not eating until at least 10, 30, 11 o'clock and that means that I've got some spare time to kill that I'm not spending on breakfast. So by the time I'm done with this podcast recording, I should have, uh, shall we say, got to grips with that one. Uh, but uh, otherwise, generally fine. The, uh, the YouTube blog, still going, still tons of reviews. Oh my god, this is going insane. 21 and a half thousand subscribers, more and more coming to lawn. Earthborn Rangers, Redwood, Imperial Miners, Archaeologic, Path of Civilization, Couldn't Have Horror, Nucleum, Spellbook, you name it, I have done it. And this week, I've already finished editing Age of Innovation. That's going to come out next. Um, I've also recorded series, uh, this one behind me here, and I've also recorded uh, Evacuation. So that's going to be coming. And uh, after that, I mean, I'll be due to do a review for Apparary, or however you pronounce that weird B game, uh, A Ticket to Ride Legacy. We're finishing that on Monday. We have the finale to do. And I have thoughts, good and bad, about it. Certainly, all I am going to say at this point is don't believe all the reviews that are giving it 9 and 10 out of 10s because I think they are seriously forgiving a lot of problems with this game. But, uh, you know, we'll hear my thoughts on that point later. Uh and other than that, I mean, there's a couple of other things which I'll talk about later, but uh, health-wise, the I've been to see a GP and a consultant about my, uh, you know, my throat issues, about why it's been consistent over the last few months, and the GP found nothing, which is no surprise. Uh, GPs only have limited scope. So I went to see the throat consultant uh, similar, at the same place I had my gastroscopy in two years ago. And it was determined after having a tube shoved up my nose and down my throat, which when you're awake is one of the weirdest sensations in the world. It gave me a lot of a <laughs> PTSD of cotton swabbing from um, uh, COVID times. Remember jamming nothing up your nose? Yeah, not pleasant. But basically it was discovered that the acid reflux problem that I have was kind of still gone going. Like the, the ameprazole I take was not enough to deal with it or at least not enough on its own. And probably because of what I've been eating over the last year, um, half a year, it's probably gotten worse. So essentially, for the next month, I'm on a dietary, uh, like aggressive diet plan to combat it head on and see if it changes things. And so on top of taking double the dose of omeprazole and Gaviscon to make certain that I don't get too many volcano flare-ups, I'm also having to cut a lot of stuff out of my diet or at least heavily restrict it. And this includes caffeine, uh, alcohol, chocolate, anything spicy and fiery, tomatoes, uh, citrus fruit, um, uh, what else? Oh, what else was there? Dairy, especially high-fat dairy. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I had to basically go, oh, I can't really eat that anymore. And uh, I mean, alcohol, I don't drink a lot of anyway, but I like to have a quality drink every now and again. I've got a 30 pound bottle of mead downstairs. So I'm going to be having occasional bits of that just 
you know, restricted. But I have currently quit caffeine. Yep, I had caffeine withdrawals this week, and I have currently now... I am now free of caffeine, and I'm going to do my best to stay off caffeine the entire next month, see if that makes a difference. Tomatoes is a bit hard because I do love my curries and I do love my chilies, but after the Thursday's pasta bake that I cooked for mates, it was evident that tomatoes must be playing a factor here, so I've, I'm going to have to try and restrict myself on tomatoes, so that's going to be fun. No more curries. I mean, yes, there are curries that don't use tomato, but then they all use high-fat cream, and I don't like creamy curries. I like tom I like jow frazies. I like tomato-based curries. Uh, but I'll just have to look in the recipe book and find some vegetarian meals or some other meals that don't use a lot of tomatoes. So stay away from Italian cuisine, I guess. Uh, and what else? Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, quitting high-fat dairy, I now, I mean, I still eat eggs. That's a given. But I've now switched to plant-based milk. So soy, uh, oat, coconut, uh, almond milk, I like them all. So that was an easy one. I just don't buy normal milk anymore. I mean, I technically could get away with skimmed, but I'd rather have the plant-based milk if I'm going to be forced to have skim milk all the time. Um, definitely got to... Quitting citrus fruits is a bit of a pain because I do like lemon, I do like lime, I love citrus, but... Needs must. I mean, I can still eat apples. They're good for you on this. And uh, so are bananas. Bananas are fantastic for acid reflux, so that's all good. Uh, I've had to stop having peppermint tea, which is kind of weird, because you'd think that peppermint tea was great, but apparently it's good for indigestion and bloating in your stomach, which is why we take it. It's not good for acid reflux, because it relaxes the, the bottom of your like the esophageal sphincter, or whatever they call it, and that actually is bad for the acid reflux. So it's like, oh, no more peppermint tea then. So my tea of choice this morning is, of course, nature's doctor, ginger. Mm, mm-mm. Lovely. I love ginger. So as long as I can ingest that on a regular basis, I'm good. So yeah, a few changes, but hopefully this will enable my uh, throat to heal a bit. Like, you know, if it curbs all this stuff down here, then my throat can heal and my, you know, my voice can be a bit better and I can talk for a bit longer without needing a drink, that kind of thing. So we'll just have to see. I've even got a wedge for my pill, um, for my bed where I sleep at an angle now. So I, you know, my my bottom half is kind of straight, but then my top half is at an angle like this, you know, sort of 15, 30 degrees or so in order to not let stuff go back up my throat while I'm sleeping. And so far, I'm finding it reasonably comfortable to do that. And I must admit, the last couple of days, things have felt a little bit better down there. You know, not like crazy. I still got the throat issue here now, but it doesn't feel quite like scorched earth at the moment. So maybe the healing process is starting now. Now that I've curbed some of those food items, the problem is I don't know which food items were worse than others for me. So, um, you know, we'll just have to do it with that. And yes, occasionally the light rings are going to be in my glasses. But if I'm going to stare at my laptop without getting a headache, I'm going to need my glasses. So uh, that's just the thing. So, yeah, I mean, thanks to everybody who has wished me well health-wise. It's just an ongoing thing that I'm just going to have to deal with. But I'll give you updates as and when I go. <clears throat> going to need a drink already. <clears throat> that's better. Right, so let's get on to the show. This is a special on GridCon because GridCon was, I believe, was it last weekend? Was it the weekend before? Uh, it's 26th now, so it was last weekend. God blimey, it feels like so long ago. But GridCon is uh, Paul Grogan's uh, convention. We, I go to every year now. It's in November, and it's held in Taunton, where I grew up my hometown, which sadly has become a bit of a shell of its former self. <laughs> Sorry, Taunton, but 
you are nothing like the town I remember. But, oh, well, we only have to go there for the convention, so no big deal. And even then, it's on the outskirts. So you don't even touch Taunton, frankly. But, you know, the convention is great. It's at a Holiday Inn in the outskirts, so it's easy to get to. It's easy to park. It's easy to do. It's got good spacious rooms. Um, it's got, you know, and, you know, it's got decent food. And the food and drinks are not overpriced because it's the Southwest, which means things don't cost £100 for everything. A bit different from the Handycom ones where everything costs 100 quid, but uh, in the Southwest, everything's quite cheap. So uh, you can get a pint of factures for like about £3.60 or something, you know, like a typical pint cost, not £5.80 or something stupid. So yeah, I, I like the venue and, uh, you know, and the venue's got better rooms than uh, the Delta and stuff like that. So overall, the hotel's a pretty decent place to be. Uh, but the convention itself, it's like you know other conventions you know so essentially you know you go there you just play games there's a library there's a bring and buy there's games law there to sell games and it is run very smoothly i mean paul runs a type ship there he's got volunteers to help him out including obviously his wife vicky and it's just it's a solid convention we go to it each year and it's mostly for patreons of the gaming rules channel uh, but which i am one but the it's still open to the public after a point and it's just a good friendly atmosphere like it doesn't feel like a whole it doesn't feel you don't go into a game feeling like like there's problems or oh, i feel a bit uneasy or something everybody is just so friendly and welcoming there and i know a lot of people who go to it because i know a fair few people on this patreon and friends of mine go there as well so we can play games and it's just a really good solid convention all round. really this year was no exception it was just good fun you know, lots of good games played, bought a couple of things from Games Lore, didn't have much luck in the Brin and Buy apart from a couple of games because the the Brin and Buy is probably the lesser thing there because it's unmanned, it's just crammed into a small room, it's hard for people to see games. When you do a Brin and Buy, you really do need space and ideally someone to man it, but this is a case of just literally chuck stuff in a very tight room and hope it sells, but it gets buried under everybody else's games and so... Selling stuff at the GridCon doesn't tend to happen on a regular basis, but, oh well, no matter, that's only a minor thing. So the rest of it is just all solid. Big charity raffle, I think it raised over like six and a bit grand or something for charity with all of those stuff. Of course I buy tickets because I don't need the games, but I want to support charity. Although it would be nice to win the raffle one of these days. I don't think I've ever won it. It's so light hard to win it because some people buy a ridiculous amount of tickets and I'm just very unlucky. So, you know, all in all, really solid and of course i will be there next year without fail because this is basically a go-to convention you know it's i mean what's it about two and a half hours back to taunton from me and you know it's a trip well spent i can always visit the parents who are nearby if necessary but even if i don't it's just it's two and a, it's three days well spent you know to go there and i get there a bit earlier on thursday to play in the evening as well and they've got a health club on the hotel so i can go there and you know i went there every day for a swim and a sauna and a 5k run and stuff and it's just oh it's just it's just good it's a solid convention honestly if you get a chance to go to it you know it's very difficult to get a slot because uh patreons come first and then the public and there's only so many tickets but seriously if you get a chance to go to this one i do recommend it so once i take a swig of water because my throat's already drying ah there we go Let's talk about what exactly I'm trying to get to the point here. Well, basically, I just want to talk about stuff I played because this one had a lot of memorable experiences. There was quite a fair few games that I played. I mean, I only played one new game there, and we're going to talk about it, and it's going to shock you 
a lot. But most of the games there I played and was teaching or otherwise. And there was just some memorable things I remember about these games, like how long they took, what things happened, how did the finale take place, you know, that sort of thing. And I kind of just want to talk briefly about those on this episode and see how that goes. So without further ado, why don't we start with, first of all, what have I bought recently? That's uh, interesting. Well, I was watching one of Paul's uh, videos recently. I think it was the uh, Plant and Nubo uh, video, and I don't know if I'll like that game it looks too fiddly for my liking, but we'll see. I haven't got it. it uh, you know, somebody can teach me one day, but I'm not really running out for it. But I bought Ashes Phoenixborn again. Yes, because I previously purchased this a while ago, and it, it was an enjoyable game. It had a very cool card system. The artwork was absolutely gorgeous, and there was a good variety in the people that you were playing. The problem was, was that it was basically a two-player game, and I never get two-player games to the table. So this was just basically like a nightmare to, you know, get across. And it had all these expansion packs with more characters, and it just wasn't worth me buying these, frankly. So it, it just became like, uh, I'll sell it off, but it was a bit of a shame. Somebody on uh, Paul's video then told me about an expansion for this game. But I said, like, well, I don't want more expansions. I need to be able to play it. Well, apparently, this was an expansion that I wasn't aware of. It's called Red Rain, or Red Rain, something like that. Yeah, here we go. Ashes Reborn Red Rains. I've got both of these now, the Frostwild and the Corpse of uh, Veros or something. I haven't tried them yet. But this is apparently a way to play it two-player co-op or solo. Ha ha ha! Solo, yes. So suddenly, I now have the means to play this game as a solo player against the boss. Cool. I like these style of games, and if it's basically the same type of gameplay except against the boss, I'm down. So this is on my wish list to learn at some point before Christmas, just to try and play it, although I'm going to have to relearn the entire game again and the solo mode. Although apparently, interestingly, the rulebook in... There's two rulebooks in Red Reigns, and one of them is a rulebook if you have already played the game to death before, and one of them is a rulebook if you have not played the game at all and you're starting off as a solo player. That is really cool. I mean, if that works in the way I think it's going to work, that's a brilliant way to do your rule books. No other publisher has done that. And, oh, I would love to see that in more games. Like a, a, a way to say, right, here's the rule book if you're playing it normally, and here's the rule book if you're playing it solo, which incorporates all the base rules of the game. You know, that sort of thing. I mean, oh, that could be really cool. But I've no idea if this is going to rekindle my love for it or not. Uh, I mean, I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. But I didn't get enough chance to really let it sink in. So I'm hoping that these two expansions will do that. Now, they're costly. I mean, this one was like 30-odd quid. And I think the uh, Frostwild one was only about was like 20-something quid. And hang on. I've got it over there. One second. All right. <clears throat> this is the box for Frostwild. That's it. I mean, for those of you listening on audio, it is no bigger than the palm of my hand. You know, the palm of my hand is as big as the boxes. And this costs 20 something pound. That doesn't seem like a very good uh, price point for that. So this does seem like it's a bit of a premium priced product. But a friend of mine really wants to try this one. So uh, I better get learning soon because he's really wanting to see if this game's any good. And it's been on his wish list for a while. And when he heard that I was getting it, it perked him right up. So yeah. I'll get it learned. We'll have some games, and at some point, we'll talk about it. Probably not until 2024 at this rate, but uh, I'll keep it on the back bench. But yeah, 
Um, if you've got any thoughts on Ashes Phoenix Morn Reborn, particularly the solo expansion, I'm more interested in how it plays solo and co-op rather than how it plays normally, because I doubt I'll play it normally. I think this will be the sole way I play it. Let me know in the comments what I need to know, because uh, any useful tips or any useful feedback would be appreciated. All right. So, yeah, more on that soon. Uh, right, let's talk about games I played, and I think we're going to save the big one until last, okay, the big hitter. So let's just talk about games that I played with the memorable things. So I'm going to go onto my Instagram here for this picture, because this is Hegemony, and yes, Hegemony is a contender for Game of the Year at this point. I mean, it really is. You know, Earth is another game I love, I'll talk about that in a minute, but, you know, Hegemony is so in the top three running for top 10 of the year. It just, it is, I can't hide that. This game is just solid for me every time I play it. It is so well designed, it is so clever, it's so thematic, and it just works. Yes, it's difficult to get to the table normally because you need the players and it's gonna take a while, but then again, every convention this gets played by multiple people handycon gridcon i'm sure aircon as well i don't go to that anymore but i'm sure it's the same there everybody brings out hegemony i am guaranteed to get a game of this played every convention i go to so it's not like i'm strapped for times to play it and that's not including any times when i could just play it solo with the simple ais this game is just brilliant but the reason I'm bringing this one up is that I had a four-player game of this uh, with a couple of patrons that I'd never, you know, I've been dying to get games played with for a while. And we had two new players. Um, but they, they'd done a little bit of research, but for the most part, they were new. And it didn't, it did take us a little while. We did overrun a little bit. But with two new players, the game was tight. We had pretty tight scoring in this one. Well, for the most part, the um, uh, middle-class player, the the guy actually teaching the game was middle class and uh, didn't go as well for him. But the other two classes, the new players, were pretty tight with me. I was playing the state because, I mean, when you're playing with new players, you pick either the state or middle class. You don't give either one of those two to a new player. It just doesn't work. Although it has been so long since I played the capitalist. I really want to play the capitalist in my next game. But the state is still a... a uh, group I like because yes they don't get many actions but I love the fact that the state has to watch what people do so you oversee the whole thing you're going hmm let's see I can get points this way I can get points this way but hang on a minute capitalists are starting to get a little bit up themselves here I better restrict them back by incorporating this and now the working class is starting to pull ahead let's pull them back a bit and it's like you're you're not necessarily trying to outdo the others on points just by the way you generate points but, I mean, in the end, I mean, look at my point marker there. It's on 127. That's how much I finished the game off. The closest player was working class. And we were neck and neck for ages until a bit of the endgame scoring happened. And then I pulled ahead. But, man, I mean, whew, 127 points. I don't think I've had higher than that before. Uh, you know, if I have, it's barely a few points. If that, it's definitely a good score for me. But... You know, I wasn't actually doing that well on the legitimacy markers. I mean, you can see on that picture there, they're only halfway up the board. Normally, I get them higher. I struggled to get the cards in the events that helped me with a lot of legitimacy stuff, and the other players weren't helping out on that regard. So a lot of my points came from state benefit stuff. Um, it came from me proposing more bills and policies than usual. I was pretty aggressive on the policies table, doing very well on my political agenda, but... You know, I still had a reasonable legitimacy markers. They just never got much higher than that. You know, they just got remained halfway and stayed there. But 
another thing that was doing good though is that for a lot of the game we had free and uh, cheaper healthcare and education up to a point I did have to reel it back at one point but by that happening it meant that every time they kept buying stuff off me I was getting legitimacy increases and victory points so that was certainly helping to drip feed as well but I was also trying to curb the working class and the capitalist a little bit at times to stop them raking too many points in and that's just what I love about the state but this was an enjoyable game I mean I had to play the state in a slightly different way to what I'm used to but we had some interesting policies. I mean, you know, I kept the tax really high. That helped. I finished with a lot of money, <laughs> like 400 plus money or something. I'm not sure. I mean, all of those, I, it must have been. I mean, those stacks of money there, he was using metal coins, um, which I don't have. I think those are 100 piles. So I think that was like 400 and something money that I had at the end in the treasury because I kept the tax high and the wages never got to the ace bracket. And I only had three public companies open. So I was just raking in the money. Uh, apart from one scare where I almost did get tanked by the IMF. Yes, I uh, hate it when the capitalist sells me phones. But it was just, I just, I had a lot of money. And certainly they considered me a threat. But I was able to stave them off. So uh, yeah, a, a good fun game. I just love this. It's so good. Such a good game. I can't sing enough praises about it. And I can't wait to see what this new world order is that they're doing. You know, the new game, the area control game that they're doing. I mean, I don't think it will be as good. Area control is not normally my thing. But if they can retain the same theme and same interaction and same kind of feel in this new game, then I'm certainly keen to look at it. And I think it may be one of the rare occasions where I actually do look at it from a preview perspective. Because I normally don't want to do previews or Kickstarter stuff anymore. But I will cherry pick the occasional once in a blue moon opportunity where I have faith in who I'm talking about here. So as much as I can't... Well, I still give opinions when I give previews. That's the way it is. I do not do what other previewers do and basically go, This game is amazing. Buy it now with no opinion. Because if you don't give an opinion then I don't care. You know, that, that's kind of the way I go. But yeah, really love this one. Such a good game. Such a good game. All right, uh, let's talk about Tricarion. Tricarion is uh, one of my friend's favorite games. Uh, you know, in her perspective, she this is her favorite game. And to be fair, I can't exactly uh, dispute that. I mean, this is a fantastic game. This is in my top 100. And, uh, you know, Tricarion is just a solid mind clash game back when mind clash were actually making the best games ever because uh i loved anachrony loved tracarion really like cerebria didn't like perseverance that much uh septima is not getting the feedback that i would like to hear although i have yet to play it it's still over there but it's going to be a while before i can get to septima uh what else was there that i wasn't a fan of uh was it just the perseverance oh, oh yeah and um voidfall which voidfall was a good game but way too much faff and way too much going on to be a decent enough game to want to play all the time so this is kind of like when mind clash were on their peak for me playing anachrony and tracarion uh, Tricarion is probably, it used to be about my third favorite Mind Clash. Now it's actually elevated to second. I think it's overtaken Cerebria at this prompt be uh, because I've played this one more than Cerebria. But Tricarion, even without the expansion, I mean, you've got to have um, Dark Alley. You've got to have that in there. That's a must. But Dalgard's Academy, it's a good expansion, but it's a lot of extra rules. So we didn't play with that. But three of us who have played the game before, 
This one is basically like if you played Prestige, the movie, as a board game. And The Prestige is a really underrated movie. Uh, I think it's got Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman in it. And it's about rival magicians trying to kind of outdo each other. Um, sort of like via means of cheating or, you know, sabotage and stuff like that. It's a really good movie. It's just, it's very underrated. Many people haven't watched it and I really do suggest you do. Um, but this one, free player game. Using asymmetric powers, I used, in fact, we just passed her, actually. I used Electra. I've never used her before because the first time I looked at her power, I thought, this is going to be quite janky and a little bit hard to deal with. Basically, in, in this game, you put, you put tricks on these little markers on the performance cards, and when they get performed, the tricks get performed, and you get income and rewards for that. Electra allows you to basically double up on the markers so that when it's performed, it effectively increases the yield that it awards you means you need a lot of trick markers well started off with an engineer and basically grabbed tricks that enabled me to have a lot of trick markers and it was interesting because it meant i didn't have to perform as many tricks early on as other players did because my yield was so good that i only needed to perform those tricks not loads of tricks if that makes sense but it was quite interesting but we finished with stupidly tight scores i mean look at on this picture here you see how close these three markers are put the blue one space back and that was what we were we were so damn close with three of us and it won with one player who i with with her, um with her winning and i didn't expect her to win i thought it was going to be a race between me and the other guy because the two of us were kind of neck and neck help ahead and she was far behind but then she caught up in the last couple of rounds and she pulled an absolute belter this is Tricarion's one of those games where something stupidly weird can happen in the last round and it really does change up how things are going and mostly it arrives from these prophecies these dark alley ones I once had a game where I took a prophecy on the last round that muted all people's player powers to one and when you go to an action space you spend power and it allows you to do various things well they cost a certain amount of power and your people that you have, your employees, have different levels of power. So your magician is three, your workman is one, for example. Well, I took a prophecy in the last round when I was already ahead on points, which nerfed everybody to one power. In doing so, the others couldn't do enough in order to catch me up and I won the game that way. That was made for a weird finale. This one, though, oh my god, this takes the cake. Essentially, what happened was, and it wasn't even prophecy related, basically... The three of us played a game of chicken and two of us lost because what was essentially happening was when it came to the performance time to get things done, basically the one of the other players has a power that basically said, if you don't perform the one that I want you to perform, I can potentially force you to go perform it. And, you know, that's a deterrent for doing other things. So basically, he puts tricks out and makes other people perform them rather than him doing it. So he wasn't planning to do any performances that round. Now, I obviously needed my tricks to go because they were not many of them, but they were so high yield that I needed them performed. So I, you know, figured, well, I'll go in. But then I thought, well, hang on a minute. She's going to have to perform surely because he's not going to perform probably. I don't think I need to, and also because a prophecy came out that meant that we didn't get any money for performances in the last round, it meant that if I didn't spend time getting more money, I wouldn't have been able to pay my employees, and that would have meant lost victory points and tank the game. So that didn't help. <laughs> Thank you. But the, the classic thing was is that when we both played chicken to get her to perform... She wasn't planning to perform and she didn't perform. So no performances took place in the final round. That never happens. <laughs> we have never had that happen.
And as a result, the points that she gained from doing other things caught her up. And when we did the end game part, we, I think she had more shards than the rest of us or something. And it pipped her. It pipped her head. So I came second by a point. The other guy came third by a point. <laughs> she won by a point. And I gotta give credit because that was such a good way to end the game. It, it was like I love these Tricarion is one of those games where even if you're slightly behind you can sometimes pull something out of the woodwork some crazy thing can turn up and you can change the outcome of the game and this was one of the classic examples where it happened and I couldn't help but just go you know round of applause in fact I even bought her a pint for it because I mean to be fair I owed her a pint from Friday but it was like partially thanks for teaching this game that I'm going to talk about later to me but I also wanted to give her a pie because I just thought respect <laughs> like you pulled off a belter to beat me in that game and I had to give you respect for it that for me respect is done better in a factor cider pint so yeah this was just a great fun game as always but man for it to end like that I mean I was so confident I thought I was going to pull away with just a close win and then that happened it's like ah okay we didn't expect this. How's this going to work? And certainly, if if she had performed, I think she would have come third, and one of us two would have won easily. So it was definitely the right move to do, and it just worked so well. So what a finale to to carry on! Insane. All right, uh, let me take some ginger. Mm. Come on, ginger, work your magic. All right, very quickly, Earth. I really like Earth. Earth is a good fun game and you know I don't have much to say about it. I mean it's a tableau building game where you're you know in fact I might even look at my Instagram then because I think this was played on the same day. No it wasn't. All right we'll uh, gloss over that. Okay so with Earth tableau building game you build up a tableau of cards that are all different types of flora and um, like flowers and stuff and it's got similarities to kind of Ares Expedition, a little bit of similarities to Wingspan, and I love this game. It's just such a good, you know, fun, short engine builder with lovely theme, lovely, lovely art and photography and stuff, and it's just a really nice game to play. It can be a bit clunky for your first game if you're a bit new to it with all the abilities, but once you've played it a few times, it becomes smooth as butter, and I just love playing this solo or multiplayer, but I taught my friend Hilmar uh, this game along with a couple of others and yes we are still doing this top 10 big boxes thing okay we're trying to iron out what we mean by big box but yes I really need to get a date in the diary for that so um, yeah I will try to get a date in the diary before Christmas for us to do this top 10 live okay it's gonna happen I may need to have at least four liters worth of fluid in order to do the live stream but I'm going to do it all right throat or no throat and the idea is, is that with this game I taught, I played a very rush strategy, and I don't often do that, but basically I had a bunch of stuff that was cheap, uh, there was a, I think the objectives kind of lined up with the stuff I was playing for other things, but they ended up being very cheap, very low VP cards, but it meant I was able to spam out cards stupidly fast and because I was focusing pretty much entirely on yellow, tree growth and getting more cards was easy. So, yeah, with that said, uh, let me show you the score pad if I go to day that was relevant. Because what happened was as a result of doing this rush tactic, uh, let's see, even full. Oh, nope, I'm going through post here. Nope, let's take it a ride. That's even full. All right, this is what I want. So, there we go. So, this was the Earth game. And 
you know, I had this tableau here. And as you can see, I've got a lot of little trees everywhere, not a lot of cubes. I mean, all of those cubes literally came from playing, uh, uh, where was it? I think it was the flooded Delta card down here in the bottom corner that gave me 13 cubes. I think that's where pretty much all of these cubes came from. But as you can see, I focused heavily on yellow here. Now, again, all really cheap, mushrooms in a row in a column so that they all generated their own tree growth and trees in a row that generated their own tree growth. It was really, really cool. I finished and easily had more cards than other players by quite a bit. This is the score pad. Um, yeah, 153, 176, 197 from Hilmar, and 200 from me. We had three points in it, and that's a low score for Earth. Some of you are probably thinking, why was that such a low score? Well, because I rushed the game. If I tried to, if I was using more expensive cards or going for bigger combos than that, then yes, I would have easily hit like high 200s or low 300s on a good game. I mean, that's a typical like score for a winning player. But 200 and only three points ahead of somebody else who didn't have that many cards in their grid. But as you can see, they had 15 more points in their cards than I did because I had a bunch of low VP stuff including my starting setup cards so I had to make up ground and I certainly did as you can see my tree growth is a bit higher than his although not much higher than another player so my trees weren't worth as much as I thought but where I excelled was the fact that I managed to get top spot on I think all but one of the yeah I think all but one of the objective milestone cards the brown cards I got top spot because I was just zooming through those and I finished first. So there's where the 63 points from that comes from. But man, he was more consistent with his points across the board and only three points in it. But yeah, because I rushed it, I have never like managed to do 200 points as a win. Like that low, you know, because normally I think that's the lowest score I've ever had as a winner. I don't think I've ever won the game in the hundreds bracket. You know, it's normally being very low 200s if I have won. But yeah, 200. I mean, just to get round 200 insane. I mean, I hope that was added up right. But, you know, I'm sure some of you is already checking the maths. But the, ugh, that was a close game to finish. It was an unexpected score from Hillmark. Because I honestly thought I was going to, like, cream everybody. You know, 24 points here. For, you know, 47 points here. I did not expect Hillmark to be right up my tail. You know, and this game does good for that. So, I just... I love this game. It's another contender for the top of the year. But, oh, blimey. That was a memorable way to play and also a memorable finish. All right, moving on briefly to a couple of others. Uh, Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Now, I already had this picture here somewhere on my Instagram. Oh, that was the... Oh, yeah. That was the Chukarion game. So, uh, there's Electra there. There's some of the performances. I don't know when I took this photo, but, yeah. And as you can see, my friend has the insert from, I think it was, a, I can't remember if it was Broken Togan or Etsy that did this insert. But it's a really nice wooden insert and she will not buy the collector's box that I've got because this insert won't fit with that. And this insert is really good, so why do you need the collector's box if this insert works just fine? But, you know, I digress. So, uh, let's see, that we'll get on to later. And yes, you know that one's coming. Uh, Wayfarers, yes, Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Ah, again, this is up there with possibly my favorite of the Garfield games. I don't know. I mean, Wayfarers, Architects, and Viscounts keep fending for position as to which one is my favorite of them. But got to say, it's been a while since I played Architects, and uh, not as long, but still a little while since Viscounts. Wayfarers has had this recent play, and 
I gotta admit, I do really like Wayfarers. Oh man, I, I don't know where, in my top 100 when I do it, I don't know where these are going to end up, whether this is going to be my new favourite Garfield game now. And by the time I do my top 100, I'll have played Scholars. I've, well, I've played it once, a demo of it, but uh, Scholars is delivering me to the me this week. So I'll get to play Scholars of the South Tigris more, and maybe by the time I do my top 100, that'll be ready to be my favourite. Although, that might be wishful thinking, because that means I've only got about a month to play it a lot before... I get to say whether it's in my top 100 because I'm going to start doing that in January. That might be pushing it a bit close, but we'll see. I mean, from the demo, I enjoyed it, but I don't think this is going to be... I don't think Scholars is going to be like a top three of my favourite Garfield games. I think it's going to be... I think I'm going to like it, hopefully, but I don't think it's going to be up here with us. But anyway, Wayfarers. Love this one. So it uses dice to do your actions, and you're basically building up a row of cards in front of you. So, you know, these... I don't bring back the picture or let's go to some other ones and the idea is is that like before you've got you know people that you can hire that give you special abilities and that but the way the sort of core mechanic works and I mean I played a solo and um, multiplayer as well is that you're acquiring these cards using colored workers or the dice actions and you've got several types of land cards you've got several types of water cards you've got space cards you've got inspiration cards it's very much all these different cards a million options what do you want to go for and what kind of engine do you want to build up and you know it just it's such a fun game because while you're doing all this tableau building you're also trying to uh, move along this prophecy um prophecy uh what's it called uh I forget what it's called, inscription track or papyrus track, uh, I don't know what it is, but you're, oh, journal, that's it, yeah, journal track, in, in order to get bonuses and trigger the end game, but all these cards have got different iconography, different abilities, different bonuses they give you, and you can just create all sorts of really cool sort of strategies to end a game, and it looks very pretty on the table with the usual D'Amico artwork, that's just, it's, is this there is a strategic part to it like i'm going to aim for these particular things but there are so many tactical opportunities that arise as well that i just get such a kick out of this game so much fun but uh you can't see my full tableau here but this is kind of the majority of it because i focused pretty much entirely on land and space didn't do very much in the water apart from the basics to get across the journal track but in fact, I don't even think this is the end of the game. No, it's not. We're only like halfway through the game at this point. And you can see how many land cards I've got there. I've already got six on top of my board. And I ended up with eight by the end of the game because I had the inscription card for it. So yeah, by the time I finished and triggered the end game, I had eight of these cards in front of me. I was doing a lot of land-based stuff. So lots of camels. But I was also hunting down planets. So I grabbed planet tags, I found several of the planets, I managed to get an inscription that gave me double points if I had so many planets, I also had the eight card inscript, um, inscription card to, oh, inspiration card, sorry, not inscription, um, inspiration card to double the points if I got eight land cards, and I, they were both on my planets, and I think the other one there is giving me points for mountains, vistas, which is good, because I was getting a lot of vista cards. So I ended up with something like 60-something points by the end of this. I had a pretty high score compared to everybody else. So it was quite a comfortable win. But this one was going to highlight, really, because we were mainly just revising the rules for a couple of people. All of us had played it at least once before, and we were just revising it. So we were able to get away reasonably quickly, but this just went at a very good pace. You know, we didn't have much time between turns, and we finished this, including the rules revision, in under two hours. That's pretty good going i mean this is why you know this game has a lot of thinky it has a lot of moving parts but to be able to finish a four-player game of this in under two hours just goes to show why this game is so 
is one of the reasons why this game is really, really good. Because I like anything that makes me go for a good, thinky, in-depth game and yet gives me a decent time frame. So, yeah, this was a good, fun uh, morning game. Uh, to, it was great to bring this one out again. I it wasn't my copy. It was someone else's. Uh, but, yeah, just great fun, you know. Coin, trying to do all the... What was I trying to do with these land cards? Oh, yeah, I was getting provisions for finding planet cards. And, you know, various bonuses were coming every time I uh, did, like, um, got tiles. So I had quite a lot of those single green tiles on my board, um, you know, in order to generate some more provisions and other bits. And then while I was trying to do that, I was raking in a decent amount of money so that I could spend them on planet cards. It was, yeah, just a good fun game. I mean, not much else to say. I enjoyed it. I like it. And then finally, uh, don't, I'm not going to mention too much more, but uh, Deep Rock Galactic, the board game, is still doing well for me. I will do a review of this, and yes, spoiler alert, I like the game. So, I mean, it's not like you're going to get a massive, like, revelation, but I do want to talk about the pros and cons of this game, because there are both. There are pros and cons of this game, but... I mean, I just played Deep Rock Galactic several games online last night. I just randomly, when I'm bored, just go on Deep Rock Galactic on the PC, hazard level 5, uh, do a couple of the basic missions, level up my characters and that, you know, chop and change weapons to sort of see what's like. But yeah, I just love just firing up Deep Rock Galactic on the PC. It's just so much fun. And it's good that I can just play with randoms and still have a good fun game, although... I can only make the game so challenging without introducing mods, and I'm not a big fan of mods. I prefer to play the game as intended, so it's just on max difficulty all the time. And it still means for... I mean, solo is still really challenging, to the point where sometimes it's impossible. But I usually go with a four-player game, and I have it like that. Yeah, nice swig of ginger. But this board game is definitely doing well for me. I mean, it's, it's so faithful to the, you know, the main game that... It deserves credit for that. Now, did I play Deep Rock that game? I guess I didn't. I uh, must have played it on... When did I play it then? I, I must have played it on one of these days. Uh, well, there we go. I think that's one. I don't think I took two pictures of Deep Rock. I think I just took the one. So, yeah. I mean, I played... I, I literally... I kid you not. I said, anybody want to play Deep Rock Galactic? Instantly got three spaces filled. In fact, two more people wanted to play it after I filled those spaces. So I had to teach this twice on the convention. And I have no problem with that because this is just a good, fun game. So faithful to the game. And most of the people hadn't played Deep Rock. I think only a couple of people had. The rest of them hadn't. So even they enjoyed it. But it's easy to teach this game. It's a co-op. So you've only got to teach the basic rules. You don't have to teach how enemies move. You can just tell people how it works when they come out. You don't have to teach them what all the abilities of the monsters are. You can tell them that when they activate. So all you've got to do is just teach them how the basic actions work, what a goal is, and what their individual characters do. Now granted, one of the flaws of this game is that you don't have particularly great reference cards for what your character does, and there is the occasional FAQ moment. I have printed out some good reference aids from BoardGameGeek to assist with this, but however, it could still be better. The reference aids on BoardGameGeek do not include your character-specific abilities yet. Somebody on BoardGameGeek needs to print out a good reference card that not only does the basic actions, as well as enemy movement and stuff, but also introduces for each player specifically what their character abilities are. So there should be one for Driller, one for Gunner, that kind of thing. I think if you could do a reference aid that does that, that would be fantastic. But yeah, we played two scenarios. I played one experience, and this one was a veteran uh, one. And one thing I am noticing with this game, though, is that 
it is a little bit on the easy side unless you're willing to up the difficulty now you can up the difficulty quite easily i mean i've been playing on hazard level one and two in this game and i think that maybe i should be playing on hazard level three which is the is the last level before you start introducing other mods to the game but hazard level three i think should be the minimum that you start to have a really challenging thing but some of it might just be that this is the first time i've done a veteran map and the rest have just been you know heroic uh, sorry not heroic um experienced or novice ones to teach the game i've still got more than half of that book to go through in terms of scenarios because i've been teaching it a lot with scenarios i've already done before and it's got a lot more veteran missions and i even got a mission from essen yeah they had a promo one i grabbed one there it's a Sadly, it got a little bit bent in um, transit, but it's there. I could always laminate it if I'm desperate. But yeah, it's another mission that I can do, and it's a veteran one, so I might do that solo and see what happens. And to be fair, I I tend to uh, I've played this mainly multi-handed when I've played this solo. So usually two dwarfs at a time. I've yet to play it with the Bosco variant. That's the true solo mode, and I've been meaning to do it, and I just haven't had time. So I'm hoping at some point, I mean, I doubt I'll get time today even, but I hope that soon I'll be able to just sit down and play some Deep Rock Galactic solo and play the Bosco thing. But because I certainly need to from the, uh, uh, yeah, certainly need to before I review it. But yeah, these were just two fun games. I mean, we, yeah, we were using our abilities. This one, this mission uh, got a little bit hairy at times, but at the end kind of became a little bit of a cakewalk. Um, again, I think we just, I mean, this one gives you upgrades for your... Um, Actually, no, no, this one uh, gave us a little bit of a run for money. The one I'm thinking of that uh, was a little bit on the easy side was the other mission we did, which, you know, we had a period where we just didn't have much in the way of swarm increases or, uh, yeah, yeah, much in the way of swarm increases or enemies around. So it certainly had an effect, but still enjoyable. We got into the theme and I love these miniatures. I mean, I'm not going to paint them, but they are just cool. It's just so faithful to the main game. I mean, yes, it abstracts a couple of things or changes one or two aspects that you have to, but the way that these things work and how that happens, it's just it's just done so well. And yes, it's a big money sink, especially with the miniatures. I mean, if you want to get this cheap, wait for it to come out on retail. I don't know when that will be, but when it comes out on retail and does a non-miniature version, consider that if you want a cheap game. But if you're willing to splash out, the miniatures are great. And I splashed out on the miniature version of the expansions on the Kickstarter, which, like I say, I don't back a lot on Kickstarter anymore. But I treated myself and made certain I'd saved up a bit of money to buy the expansions for this because it's a game that I think is going to be a keeper. Like I say, spoiler alert for the review, but the game is not flawless. And I need to explain more why it's good and what the bad things are. So don't worry, a review will come out, you know, so I can at least give consumer advice. But yeah, still love this one. Right, the big one. The big one, Last Swig of Ginger. The game that some of you are probably gagging to hear me talk about my thoughts. Hello, Great Western Trail, New Zealand. Now... You people, some of you know that my history with Great Western Trail is um, niche good. Uh, I had I gave the original decent number of chances, and I hated it. Hated the game. Not as much as some stuff like Concordia and Paragrid or Barrage and stuff like that. I think this was more on the levels of Brass, where I didn't necessarily 
hate, hate the game. I just didn't like it and didn't get why everybody was fawning over the mouth over it. And I think that was part of the problem as well, because this and Brass was just like, everybody wants a piece of this game. And I just thought, why? I don't get it. It's not that fun. It's not punishing. The the way you exploit Kansas City in the original just seemed a bit weird and, and stuff like that. There were just things. And also expectations were not great i mean it, i got rid of those expectations quite quickly but when this was at the time when uh when they introduced deck building as a side mechanic this was before it became kind of a normal thing for that to happen so i went into this expecting a cool deck builder with this other thing on top and it turned out to be the other thing and deck building was such a bolt-on and it didn't feel i didn't get why it was there it just sort of didn't make sense and it still doesn't really make sense why it's in the game but I said you know what on my recent trend where I'm revisiting old games to see if I can enjoy them more now to a point there are some games that like Barrage and Concordia and Paragrid that I just don't want to touch you know I know I hate those games I know I'm always going to hate those games they're never going to change but you know, I warmed up a bit more to Terraforming Mars. I warmed up a bit more to Dune Imperium. Still overrated as old Get Out, but still, I warmed up to it a bit. Um, mainly with the expansions. Uh, although, this Uprising thing. I will try and get a copy of Uprising to review it, but man, that feels like such a cash grab. Uh, but I also played Brussels 1893 again with Hilmar at Essen to help him teach the game. And I hated it before, and I still hate it now. Boring as hell. But this one... I was willing to give another chance, but not the original, not the second edition of the original. I wanted to try one of these new spin-offs because the more that the publishers had time to develop this and the more the designers had time to work on this, I expected the latest iteration to be the better one. And most people have talked meh about Argentina, like they recognize it exists and that's about it. So that wasn't exactly a glowing reference. So I watched my friends at one at, hand, um, at one Shake Battle and Roll convention playing the New Zealand one. This is the one with sheep. Sheep are better than cows, full stop. Although I do prefer beef to lamb, but I think sheep as animals are just better than cows. But I watched them play this, and I saw that there was more options for stuff that you could do. There was the river thing, and then there was the track itself. It looked like there was more mitigation for the deck buildy elements. You weren't quite as screwed over by the cards. There were ways to kind of fast-forward your deck, so you weren't trimming any cards out of your deck, per se, apart from rare occasions. You were mainly getting cards that let you cycle quicker through the deck. Okay, not quite as good as being able to trash stuff out of your deck, but you know what? I'll take it as a good compromise. The variety in those cards was good because you had to select four out of ten to appear in the game and they could be different combinations. It's like, okay, I'm seeing stuff I like here. And I thought that this was probably one of the games that I could play again that I might give more respect. Like, out of all the games I've disliked in the past, this was the one that I had more confidence that I could find something good here because... My taste in games and the heavy games I play in that, I think I've more aligned with stuff like this now. And I thought, like, let's give this one a fair chance. I know exactly what this is going to be like going in. So give it a fair chance. See if now they've, you know, fine-tuned a bunch of the stuff in here. So what are my thoughts? This is probably going to surprise a few of you. But I liked it. Oh, dear. I liked it a fair bit. Um, oh, I I'm going through my uh, previous ones. Where is it? Come on, find the pictures. Oh, where did I play this one? Where did I play this one? Ah, there we go. Great Western Trail, New Zealand. So, yeah, 
I enjoyed this. And I think I won. Actually, did I win? Oh, no, I lost. I lost by a couple of points. Like, I was literally two or three points off the winner. And we were doing vastly different things. I mean, I thought I was going to comfortably win. I didn't expect to lose. So it was quite cool that, you know, the things did happen. I went full-on shepherd. So I went full-on, get the best sheep, sell it at the best price, and, you know, do a few other things on the way with bonus tiles. And, you know, I did really well on that. I mean, I had a lot of points from sheep and cards. But... Uh, the other guy was doing the river track pretty much so he was sailing around the top i sailed i think three times in the entire game like i did pretty much nothing on the river track because i just thought well i'm going to try a weird strategy i'm just going to focus entirely on shepherds because let's face it in the original game that was kind of the easier way to win in that one and i'll thought let's see if it wins here it certainly did very well but i'm glad it didn't win against a different strategy and you know, we all had some buildings. I think I also did quite well on the builder's front. Like, I had a couple of... I only had two buildings on the map, but they were high-rated buildings. So, they were scoring me quite a decent amount of points. But I think with the expectations now aligned with what I knew Great Western Trail was, this one just worked better for me. And I think a lot of it is down to the amount of options that there are. Because I can go sailing. I can do building. I can do the sheep i can also do sheep shearing so as well as doing selling the sheep at the market you can also at times shear the wool of the sheep and this can be another way to get points and income and things and you can focus a lot on that so you've got like four particular paths that you can do and on top of that you're also like clearing the hazard tiles or sticking them out you can get wild workers you get bonuses for having a lot of the uh, same type of workers so there's a reason to specialize and diversify the and it didn't feel too punishing when you got to the market because in Kansas City you kind of like you were almost told to exploit that in order to take the negative points in order to do well later and Nucleum has something like that as well I'm not a fan of when games do that you know it's 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 counterintuitive this one yes you could suffer minus three victory points you, know, you can suffer a few minus victory points if you're on the very low stuff but it's very difficult to get the very low stuff. You've got to have a pretty bad hand in order to end up on the lower bits. So I found that that wasn't a problem this time around. And I mean, I'm playing red. So you can see in the distance, my red markers are on the top bit. And to be honest, I may have won the game if I'd added up my score right. Because I forgot that I had two discs on that last space where you can have multiple discs, not just one. So I might have actually won the game, but because we'd already totaled up the scores and I was already in a good mood, the last thing I want to do when I do that is to tell somebody, oh, sorry, I should have scored 10 points there. I win. Because that feels like the most jerk move you can do at the end of a game. To, ruin, to basically burst somebody's bubble by saying, oh, sorry, you didn't win, I win. It's like, nah. If I didn't know, how to, if I didn't know the rules for scoring well enough... You know, if I didn't add things up properly, if I made a mistake, that's on me. So I took the second place like a man and just gave him the victory. You know, I barely even mentioned that I'd added it up wrong. So it's like, whatever, take the victory. So, you know, but this was surprisingly fun. The, the, the options were plentiful. I felt like there was good tactical things I could do, even though I had to, put a lot, you know, go for a strategy and make that the thing I was doing. The... The buildings were a bit more interesting in this. The builders didn't feel quite as punishing to do as the last one. Although, not a fan of the fact that you get taxed on other people's buildings as you go past them. Because there's a few choke points on this map where you can build these buildings that tax you for money. And it does seem to be a kind of thing in the game to get those as soon as possible. Because 
you don't have to suffer, but everybody else does. It, I don't know. That seemed a little bit, mm, but for the most part, really cool. And you know, the bonus tiles were sweet to do. The Kingfisher track, it's a track, but I did nothing on the Kingfisher track. I don't think I touched it at all, apart from like one or two points. So I ignored the Kingfisher track and sailing pretty much entirely. And I think if I added all the points right, I would have actually won the game going full Shepherd, which is a slight worry because that's the one that I thought did the best in the old game as well. But, you know, the guy either won or came very close with sailing and he was all sailing, barely did any Shepherd stuff. So it was good to see two conflicting strategies do different things. The theme was fun with the sheep, you know, sheep shearing and stuff like that, you know, that was just more relatable. The artwork is really nice with the sheep, you know, they just look cuter than cows, I'm sorry, sheep are just cute. Um, and yeah, there was just, I felt like I wanted to play it again, not straight away, but I felt like I'm interested to do that. I mean, I only, I actually looked at the game thinking, do I want to buy this one? It, it did entertain me, but I don't think it's quite... I, I'm somewhere between a 7 and 8 from that first point, maybe an 8. But maybe seven, I don't know. But I don't think it's quite distinction level. But I did enjoy it. And this is from a game I hated before. Um, it's not a flawless game. I say the choke points are a bit of a thing. Um, I'm not convinced that certain strategies were. Like maybe heavy builders and heavy shearing. I'm not sure that those strategies would work. But I, you know, I would like to be proved wrong by trying them in the future. But also I don't like these objective cards. These objective cards are cool to get you a little bonus, but they're so minute in points. I mean, you can't use the same thing to trigger multiple objectives, so it's hard to do a lot of these. You've got to get them through your deck. You've got to play them in order to have them score. They're negative points if you don't do them, which is an off-put, but they're only three points. Three points is nothing when you're scoring... I mean, we scored over 100. I'm pretty sure we broke 100, us two. So three points is not a big deal. And some of these requirements are not the easiest thing to do, but yeah, I don't know. I just feel that they needed to be more points for them to be worthwhile because I feel like I could play a game never getting any objective cards and I would still probably win or do well. Like both of us, I think, only had one, maybe two objective cards apiece. Um, and let's see, that's from my perspective, that one. So were those, yeah, those were my two objective cards. And I, I think he only had one. So there were six points on me and three on him. I mean, you know, they just don't seem worth it. You know, I'd like to hear your thoughts on whether the objective cards can be used better. But I don't know, they just seem like an arbitrary thing in the game or something that's too undervalued in the game. Maybe that's the bigger problem. But yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm staggered. I'm staggered that I played a game of Great Western Trail and enjoyed it. Now, would I enjoy the other Great Western Trails if I were playing those? That I'm not so sure on. And in fact, yeah, here's oh yeah, here's a score pad. So yeah, we had a few addition errors, but yes, uh, did I? Oh no, I still lost. No, I still lost. Um, yeah, what shocked me was that I think he had like 111 points or 101. Oh no, he did something similar. But yeah, he had like 111 points or something like that, and I had only 96. And I thought, God, how did he get so much further ahead doing sailing? 
when I was doing such a good with Shepherds. And then I realized I added my thing up wrong. So you can see there I had something like 28 or 20 something points. And then it went up to 39 because I thought, how did I not get that many more points than them on those uh, like sale markers, the flags? Because surely I was doing lots more than them. And then I noticed the two disc clean and realized, oh, wait, am I supposed to get points for both of those? Whoops. You know, because I was I'd forgotten that rule. And so um, we added those up and it still made me lose. But only by four points, 109 to 113. So a close game, and it was definitely his victory. I mean, I'm glad that was cleared up. But then where did these objective cards come in? Um, objective cards. Oh, he had four. Okay, so he got 12 from his. I only got six. But still, I don't know. They just don't seem that worth it, the objective cards. But I don't know. Maybe prove me wrong in a future game. But I'd certainly be interested to know your thoughts on that. But yeah, it's true. I've played a Great Western Trail game, and, you know, I played a Great Western Trail game, and I liked it. That song is so stupid, I hate its guts. Uh, but yeah, it, I can't believe I actually liked it. It's insane, and I bet some of you Great Western Trail fans are flipping your lids at this point for, like, the fact that I'm actually saying this. But yeah, I want to play this game again. But I don't know if I want to play the original Great Western Trail. Maybe if you threw in Races to the North, the expansion, because I hear that fixes some of the problems I have with the base game. But I think the base game probably still has a few problems that I'm not a fan of, and I don't really care about Argentina. This one seems to be the Great Western Trail one that works for me. And I think because it gives you all these different options and a bit more flexibility with what you do, a bit more luck mitigation, even though there is a little bit of luck still, you know, it's not flawless, but... You know, this was very good, right? This was a very good game, very, like, good experience. So, uh, I guess we'll be playing some four players of this with uh, my other mate, because this was with my two friends. They are more than happy, they were more than happy to teach me it, and they were certainly more than happy to uh, hear that I'm willing to play four-player games with them on this. So, um, yeah, this is going to be good. Right. I'm going to start ending things there, because I've just had the low battery warning on my laptop. So uh, I haven't got long before this thing is going to conk out in a few minutes. So I'm going to start wrapping things up there. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast. Let me know your thoughts on the games I've mentioned, particularly Great Western Trail and also Ashes Phoenixborn. I want to know your thoughts on the solo for that. Plenty more stuff to come out soon. You'll get Age of Innovation next. Uh, I don't think I'm going to do a video for games played like Best and Worst of October because it's a bit late in the month and frankly the best and worst of October is basically what I've already talked about from Essen that I've reviewed or played at HandyCon which I've already done the podcast on so there's not really much else to talk about so I'll probably do one like best and worst of November because that will probably be a bit better and I'll have some different games that I haven't mentioned in there in fact I can think of two or three already but you know we'll cross that bridge when we do so thanks everybody for tuning into this podcast I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple episode and remember as always it's only a game Bye for now, everybody, and uh, try and get over the shock that I enjoyed a great Western Trail game.